0: Good morning. I want to pray um, before we get started in uh, today's message that every once in a while, um, I would consider last week to be this case, is that I get to stand up here and uh, I get the privilege of encouraging you. And I I love preaching that way, I, I, I love encouraging you and exhorting you to hang on and Uh, lifting up the body of Christ that way. It's my favorite way to preach. And then every once in a while, I get to stand up here, and it is an equal honor, But uh, and I get to challenge you. Uh, Not encourage you, but challenge you. And today's one of those Sundays. Uh, And so I want to pray, and uh, I want to ask God uh, to help me say uh, what he laid on my heart to say with grace and truth and conviction. And uh, then we'll get into it. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And uh, Lord, as uh, I've kind of laid out my message today, my prayer is uh, that we would be absolutely confident in you and in you alone. Not our politics, not our nation, not our family heritage, not our spiritual background, but our confidence would be in you. May it be so, may it be true, because that's the only thing that matters. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I have uh, absolutely, or at least very little confidence in my balance, all right? Now, uh, and uh, it's become almost like a family joke that I tend to be kind of clumsy and fall down a lot and stuff like that, but you need to know that my uh, trepidation about my balance comes very naturally. When I was a kid, I was helping uh, a family friend uh, redo his roof, and I fell off the roof. Uh, I wasn't badly injured, but I was injured enough that it reinforced this idea to me that I don't have good balance, and so therefore I should not trust my balance. Uh, I have absolutely no confidence, or very little confidence, I should say, in my hearing. Uh, several years ago, what was a kind of steady uh, hearing loss as I was getting older, just over the course of a very short amount of time, just plummeted to almost nothing. Uh, When I I went for my hearing test, I found out I was functionally deaf in one ear, actually. I could hear very, very little. And so uh, I had a surgery. My stapes bone had kind of frozen in place, not to get too weird or technical, but uh, they went in and they replaced that with a prosthetic. And my hearing has, has improved a ton, but the surgery didn't go perfectly. And so it's not perfect. So sometimes I'll might ask you to repeat what you say. Or sometimes if we're at a restaurant and it's really loud, I'll just kind of give Cheryl a look and she translates for me, right? What the, the person says, she just kind of knows the look. It's like, I'm not hearing anything. Um, and uh, she'll help me out with that way. And, uh, and, so, and that leads me, I, I do have a ton of confidence in, in Cheryl, my wife. I have a lot of confidence in her wisdom and organization and skills. So I defer to her uh, a, a ton on stuff. And here's what I want you to know as we start this morning. Confidence matters. What you're confident in uh, matters. We're going to study Philippians 3 today, but in the spiritual realm, it may matter the most of all. And so today we're going to talk about our confidence. And here's what I need you to know. We've said this a couple times in this series Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected so you could be confident. So that you could be confident in him and his work and his grace and his joy and his peace. That you can be confident in him. Here's what Paul writes. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision... We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right? Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness on, based on the law, faultless. But whatever we're gains... I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. One of Paul's favorite phrases in Philippians and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he starts out by criticizing these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. It sounds like a horror film, doesn't it? Mutilators of the flesh, right? And let me give you a little bit of background. We covered this uh, earlier in the Abraham series, but when God first established his relationship with, With Israel, the sign of that relationship, the covenant between he and Israel was circumcision. And it remained that way for many, many years. And Jesus comes on the scene. He establishes his kingdom. After his resurrection, ascension, and the establishment of the church, the gospel, exactly according to God's plan, began to go beyond the Jewish community into other non-Jewish communities. And so the debate began within the early church, and here's what the debate was. Should a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, should a Gentile be forced to become Jewish before they're allowed to become Christian? All right, that was the debate, right? Should we be forcing people to become Jewish, i.e., you need to have a surgery before you're baptized into Christ? Should we be doing this? Should we have a line for baptism and say, hey, listen, if you're not, if you're not Jewish yet, here's a separate line for you, circumcision. Right, you got these 40 or 50-year-old dudes going, wait, excuse me now? What? I think I misheard you, right? No. And this required a church meeting. And they discussed it and they debated it, that is it necessary for Gentiles to become Jews in order to be right with God, and here's the, kind of, one of the conclusions of the matters uh, of the matter. the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion right, I would guess so Peter got up and addressed them, "Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief." God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving, the, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he puffed their hearts, he purified their hearts, excuse me, by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved just as they are. All right? So, Peter, does a Gentile need to become Jewish in order to be saved? No. I studied real hard for this, all right? So, no. Because it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as we are. And this was decided by church leadership, and yet this teaching that you must become Jew first. This teaching uh, continued for generations. People refused to submit to the church authority on this. It infiltrated several churches that Paul was pastoring, and he is exasperated by this teaching, because it's already been decided. He is exasperated by the teaching that you must be circumcised, you must become Jewish. As a matter of fact, in one text, not in this one, in this one text, he says, if you are going to require circumcision of people, I just wish you'd cut the whole thing off. It is in the scriptures, all right? Ask your parents about that on the way home. That is all I'm saying about it in this sermon. Paul is exasperated, and you can see it in this text, These mutilators of the flesh, these evil doers, and he is using this current argument to ask what is perhaps the most important question a person can ask. And here's what it is Where does your spiritual confidence lie? Where does your spiritual confidence lie? Is your confidence somehow tied, like Paul is describing, is it somehow tied to your nationality as an American citizen? Uh, I will be real honest with you. uh, um, July 4th, obviously, was on a Sunday this year. And I feel a lot of anxiety about how to handle July 4th in the church, uh, let alone when it's on a Sunday. Uh, My solution was to pre-schedule a vacation Um, No, it actually just worked. It it worked out that way. I didn't do that on purpose. And I wanted you to hear my heart just for a minute, now that we're separated from July 4th a little bit, about why I tend to shy away from overt patriotic expressions on a Sunday. It is not because I'm not thankful for our country. I am enormously thankful for our country Uh, My dad served his country uh, really well. The VA took care of my dad until the day he died in November. We are grateful for the VA. We are grateful for the country. Um, I am thankful. I I love America. And here, we worship the Lord. We lift his name up. And I, the reason we shy away from it is I don't want to give anyone the impression, even for a minute, that your confidence before God should be based on the fact that you are an American. And you might be tempted to think, is that even a concern? I'll tell you what I've observed in several different churches that, that I've been in over the years and just in, in communities or whatever, is that there will be, a, like in the community, there'll be a patriotic event And at that event, you will see people standing and singing and at times even crying. And there's a lot of expression that is done in that service. And you will follow those same people uh, to church on Sunday. And they are sitting, arms crossed, not saying anything. They're silent. The celebration for the country is greater than the celebration for the Lord. Now, I told you I was going to offend you today, So do not act surprised, right? And here's what I would say. I want to make sure our confidence is in Jesus. Because on the day he returns, the fact that you were born in this country or you love this country won't make a difference at all. It just won't. Being in Christ Jesus, as Paul says, having your sins forgiven by him, that will make all the difference. Now, that is not to say if you were here July 4th, you know we did some patriotic expressions That is not to say we won't ever do patriotic expressions. We do, but we want to keep them in the the proper context, right? I like Scott's line uh, in that July 4th message, be thankful for your freedoms, worship the Lord. I thought that was a really good line, right? Be thankful for your freedoms, and we do want to be thankful for our freedoms. And that's why on a Sunday morning, it is possible to balance those two things, to say, man, we are grateful for this country, That we are gathered in a room that we can advertise where we are worshiping the Lord. And we can gather in this place. And it's absolutely amazing that we can do that. Uh, So we want to be thankful for our freedoms. We want to be, we want to worship the Lord. All right. So is your confidence in your nationality? Is your confidence in your political party? That we made this uh, mistake uh, uh, decades ago uh, that tied republicanism to faith. It was called the religious right. And listen, I think your political perspective should be informed by your faith and, and by Jesus, absolutely. But to tie a political party to your faith in Jesus, by and large, is a mistake. Because it makes people feel like that this, this political position is where my confidence should be. We're actually making the same mistake in reverse right now, by the way. That we did this kind of uh, religious right thing. <laughs> And what I see now is that there's been, been a swing and there is this religious left forming. that to be Democrat is what it means to be Christian. And I will tell you, it will net the same results. It won't work because our confidence should be in the Lord. Have you ever watched TV and you're watching like these talking heads and you're like, man, why are we so polarized from each other? Like, why are these guys so angry? Why are they talking to each other like everything is at stake over this one issue? Here's why they're not just fighting about one issue, they're fighting over a thing they think can save them. That if my politics are right, I am right with God. Their confidence is in their politics. That's why they're so angry and why they're, fight- they're fighting for their God, little g. Is your confidence in your family legacy? I think this was absolutely hard for the Jewish community. When you read through the Old Testament, absolutely, Uh, the whole time, God was working through the Jewish uh, community uh, to establish a nation and eventually bring the world uh, a savior, and that matters for sure. Paul will talk in Romans uh, chapters 9 through 11 about why it matters so much, but then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he invites people to follow him and to trust him and put their confidence in him. And then the gospel went to beyond the Jewish community to the whole world. You don't have to be Jewish to know Jesus. And I think it was hard for him. It was hard for the Jewish community to make that transition. Now, I grew up in the church. I've told you this before, a lot of you have as well. My parents came to Christ around the year I was born. And so, a lot of my growing up years, I saw them grow in their, their faith in Jesus. And I think it would be easy for me to say, when you ask me, Are you a Christian? I think it would be easy for me to say I'm a Higgs. Church, God, Jesus, we filled up our pew to watch them clean the windows, right? Twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and whenever the cleaning happened, we showed up and watched, right? It's who we are. My confidence can't be in my family legacy, and yours can't either. Our confidence needs to be in our personal, profound, intimate relationship with Jesus. Our confidence has to be in him. Is your confidence in your actions, probably not a surgery for you, I would guess, but is there this thing you do that you feel it makes you right with God? Every single study that's been done in the last five years says that this generation's version of this is being nice. That if I'm nice to my neighbors, if I help grandma across the street, if I serve the people around me, God saves the nice, All right? So being nice is the biggest thing to this generation. I've said this a bunch before, but here's what we do. We overestimate our holiness and we underestimate God's, All right? So the Old Testament says that our righteousness is actually like filthy rags before God, that we are overestimating our good deeds and we're underestimating how holy and righteous God is. So we are able to talk ourselves into this idea that if I'm just nice, if I'm just good enough, if I just serve enough, then I'll be right with God. And in reality, we have all sinned, everyone here, and God is holy, and we desperately need His grace. Here's what I want you to see your confidence matters a lot. And I've been really privileged to see over uh, my adult life how much of a difference confidence can make in the lives of the people I know. I have friends from college that graduated the same year that I did, and at the age of 22, they flew to a foreign country to be missionaries. They fundraised, they worked hard, and they had been on the ground for 20-plus years. Why would a person leave their nuclear family? Why would a person leave everything to do that? The money? <laughs> good one (laughs) the money no confidence their confidence was in Jesus his mission his grace and his purpose in their life this last year it's been incredibly difficult for everyone the world kind of caught on fire but I have seen so many people that I know even around here that refuse to freak out they refuse to lose their mind they stayed in a place of relative calm why are they mentally ill crazy delusional no they're confident they're confident in jesus his resurrection and his power made perfect in their weakness i've seen tons of people through the years go through incredible trial and tribulation some of you remember a young man here 15 years of age named silas martin ended up with brain cancer fought it for years and years and years and there came a time Where it seemed like maybe Jesus wasn't gonna heal him, and he came home on hospice. And people would see, I watched it happen a couple times, like, man, I'm sorry, Silas, I'm sorry you're not gonna be healed. And he, at 15, weak, cancer, body riddled with cancer, he would say, no, don't don't say that. Jesus is going to heal me. He may not heal me here, but he will heal me there. Say, where does that come from? Confidence. And I don't mean to bring down the room, but a moment like that is kind of coming for everybody, right? Where somebody will look at us and say, There's nothing more we can do. I'm sorry. And confidence in that moment matters. Where's yours? And Paul says, if you want to talk about having confidence in the flesh, Paul, in his normal, humble self, says, I've got the resume, dude, right? So let's reread this. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I love Paul so much. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. You're getting circumcised at 45. I did on the eighth day, right? of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to law, a Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. He says, you want to talk about political confidence? Paul says, check. You want to talk about national confidence? Check. You want to talk about familial confidence? Check. Check. You want to talk about righteousness, obeying the law, doing what religious people think you should do, being nice, that sort of thing? Faultless, perfect, check, 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 check. And this is Paul's story. He was walking down a road, minding his own business, living his life, and he met Jesus. And Jesus changed everything. Everything. And because of his faith, don't lose this in this text, because of his faith, Paul lost everything. Everything he had been confident in went away. He lost everything. But look at what he said. What were my gains? I now consider them losses. What were my treasured resume points? Tough language. I see them as garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. Some people will translate that word as rubbish. I like that word. The true translation no one in their right mind would ever use. Because it is a Greek word, uh, skubala, and I won't tell you exactly the translation, but if you were living in the first century and they had bumper stickers, this bumper sticker would say, skubala, Happens. Paul is using a very aggressive word. So this summer, we've been doing a lot of work around our house. It seems like every couple of years you have one of those summers where it says, like, all right, we're going to do like a bunch of stuff around, uh, around our house. And there came a point where we decided we needed a dumpster. And uh, so we got one that was uh, a lot bigger than we thought we needed just to be safe. And much to our surprise, after we cleaned out our garage... And after we cleaned out our main floor and after we cleaned out our basement, wouldn't you know it, we filled that thing up. And Cheryl and I had been laughing, like, do we have a problem? Like, or is this just living in a house for 14 years and this just kind of slowly happens? And it really struck me as we were cleaning out our house. Here's what struck me. That at some point we valued this item enough to store it. And now we're looking at the same item going, donate or dumpster. And this is Paul's point. There was this point where I held on tight to my righteousness and my politics and my nationality that these were the things that would make me right with God. And now I realize he says that it doesn't matter nearly what I thought it mattered. And it's dumpster stuff. Compared to, the to, to, compared to knowing Christ Jesus. I love how Paul describes it. I consider them garbage. There's their word, that I might gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I want to be found in him. I think that's a beautiful statement. And when people talk to you about what is it that makes you a Christian, what is it that kind of, what is the engine of your faith, what, what is driving you forward? It's not my politics or nationality or family legacy or good deeds. All of these things have been informed by Christ Jesus. But my faith is defined and found in Him, His confidence is in Christ. And he gives us kind of three things to think about. He says, man, my righteousness, my righteousness is from Christ. All right? I love what he says. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ. He's talking here about a thing called declarative righteousness. That when you give your life to Jesus, when you put your faith in him, that Jesus through the cross forgives your sin and declares you Righteous from the cross of Christ. So when God sees you, He doesn't see your sin, He doesn't see your shortcomings, He doesn't see your misdeeds. When He sees you, He sees righteousness. He sees Jesus. And that is 100% true. Declarative righteousness is absolutely 100% true. But there's also practical righteousness, how we live every single day. And here's the mistake that a lot of people make. All right, Steve, so like, yeah declarative righteousness, God declaring me righteous through the work of Jesus, I get that 100% absolutely. But practical righteousness, day to day, choosing to do the right thing, choosing to take the right step, choosing to be righteous, that's kind of on me. And I get that perspective, and here's what I would say, sort of. But I would like to make the argument to you that practical righteousness is also best found in Christ— it is, not, it is not an engine that uh, is, uh, is our own uh, earnestness, our own ambition, our own hard work. It is found in Christ Jesus because we can read his commands and we can see his example and we are powered by his Holy Spirit. And so Jesus helps us day to day to make good decisions. So when it comes to our righteousness in Christ, we're confident. You can be confident in Christ. Christ. Knowing that your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. And knowing that He, through His Holy Spirit, is leading us to good, wise, and righteous decisions. He says His hope came from Christ. His righteousness came, His hope also came. From Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections. I want to participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And this is only as crazy as it sounds if you don't understand the resurrection. All right. Some people almost accuse Paul of having a death wish. I've heard some go so far as to say, like, was Paul mentally okay? He seems really discouraged. He doesn't have a death wish. He's doing just fine. Here's why Paul is writing what he's writing. He knows what lies ahead of him. He knows he will die. He knows that Rome is going to have him killed. And he was right. All of that came to pass. And he wants to do what he's called to do faithfully. With grace and grit. I want to live like Christ Paul says because I know that I'm going to resurrect like Christ. So I don't want to be afraid. And you and I probably won't be called to a cross or murdered like Paul, but whatever he calls you to, whatever he calls me to, the truth of the resurrection motivates us to courage. Paul's confidence is in Christ. I'm going on a um, sabbatical that's starting August 16th. Uh, pre-planned nothing's wrong all right it was uh, supposed to actually be a year ago uh, and hashtag 2020 all right and so I'll be going on that sabbatical August 16th and when I come back in October uh, you know what we're going to study from uh, when I come back until Christmas we're going to study the resurrection. We're going to study it from every angle you can imagine because the truth of the resurrection motivates us to walk the path God has laid out before us, to walk it with courage and grit and faithfulness because our confidence is in Christ. Lastly, his victory came from Christ. So his resurrection, his hope, and his victory. You notice Paul's language about the race. He says, I want to continue to run Faithfully. I want to run the race faithfully with grace, grit, and determination. He wants to run his race well, and I bet you do too. I love the phrase in here. He wants, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Shocker statement right here. Spoiler alert. I don't run much. I've tried. Don't enjoy it. Um, and I know some of you are runners, but here's what I can say that if I were a runner, I would want to win. And Paul does this thing. He says, man, Christ Jesus has already took hold of that for which I'm running, running for. And here's what he's saying. The race has already been won. Victory has already been secured. So what do you do when you know a victory's already been secured and, and the race has already been one. What do you do in that moment? Well, victory no longer becomes the goal. The victory signed, delivered, secured. Faithfulness becomes the goal. Running toward Jesus becomes the goal. And so because of Jesus, we are absolutely confident in our future victory. We are confident in the victory that he is going to bring. And so it just changes our goal. We don't have to worry about winning. I think that's what a lot of political battles are over. We have to win. Ah, We've already won. We've already won. And so it just changes our mindset that we know we've already won. So now our goal has changed. And now faith, running faithfully, running with grit and determination and faith, that becomes our goal. And that is my prayer for you and for me. Is that our confidence would be in Christ. And we'd receive from him righteousness and victory and hope and that we would run our race different because of the work of Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. May our confidence be in you. Uh, Let it not be in our politics or our nationality or our own works and our own deeds all of that just falls short may our confidence be absolutely 100% in you and may we understand that in your sight we are righteous because our sins are forgiven may we understand that in you there is hope beyond what we can imagine and may we understand that in you our victory is secured and so we can just focus on being faithful doing the right thing running our race, whatever race it is. Paul felt like his race was going to be to be killed by the Romans eventually, and um, he was right. Whatever our race is, it's probably not that, but whatever our race is, may we run it faithfully. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's receive communion together. May your confidence be in him, his body given for you, his blood poured out. May we leave this place confident, not in ourselves. Jesus didn't come so we could be confident in ourselves. May we be confident in him and his grace and his power and his resurrection. Let's leave this place confident. Let's stand and sing one last song. God bless you guys.